Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. Thoughts and comments expressed here are the opinions of Chad and Lou, and not necessarily those of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studios. Caution, this show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Welcome to episode 27 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversation based on pretty much whatever topic we want. I'm your host, Chad Knight, and alongside me is Lou Schwabach and special guest, Al Seeger. This episode, we're going to take a short hop across the pond and give some love to the Brits and their music. Contrary to what John Mellencamp stated in 1985, ROCK isn't only in the USA. In fact, there are tons of different rock and metal bands that exist from all over the globe. Some are quite well known, such as the Scorpions from Germany or ACDC from Australia. While many others fly just under the radar and keep a dedicated or cult following. Today, with our special guest Al, we'll be talking about some of our favorite notable British rock and metal bands. So, get your band logo jean jacket on and put your devil horns up on both hands while we get this show started. So, Al, you had a little something to uh, add to this right off the beginning, huh? Um, yes, because originally we were talking about maybe doing an episode just on the new wave of British metal, but then, uh, you know, decided, okay, we'll just talk about whatever British musicians that we like. Um, so, of the five bands that I'm going to be talking about tonight, two of them are strongly associated with the new wave of British metal. Two of them actually predated it. And then there's one band I'm going to be talking about that's kind of that mid-ground where some people consider them part of the new wave, others don't. But I I love a lot of the bands that I heard from that particular uh, time period or that started around then. See, the new wave of British metal, it was actually somewhat inspired, and some people would even say it, uh, sprang from the punk movement that was happening in the, the U.K., Uh, usually inspired by aggressive sound and a DIY attitude. Now, just looking back from uh, 1973 to 1975, the United Kingdom was in an economic recession. So there was high unemployment and limited economic opportunity. So some of the youth from this era sought to make money through music, which led to the rise of several punk bands. And this type of music was noted for being very anti-establishment, anti-government, you know, anarchistic. Though some of the youth of the day actually preferred escapism over political activism. And that's where uh, heavy metal comes in. You see a lot of the, a lot of metal groups back then often featured lyrics that drew upon works of fantasy, science fiction, mythology, or others just talked about the, you know, the rock and roll lifestyle. So the first band I'd like to talk about uh, is, I, in my opinion, this is one of those bands that really exemplifies that DIY attitude back then, and, and that's Def Leppard. Because um, back in 1978, they had self-produced the Def Leppard EP. And uh, the lead singer, Joe Elliott, 
he would actually photograph, I'm sorry, photocopy the lyric sheet on his breaks at work. And I also remember reading that him and his mother glued the uh, album sleeves together. But the song I'd like to talk about first is Rock of Ages from 1983, because this is the first Def Leppard song that I remember. And it also had a very memorable music video. I remember it started out with monks and they had some nonsense phrase they were muttering. There was an owl looking Unter at a leech. Glieben, glatten, globen. Yep. Something to that effect, right? Yeah. And, uh, I actually have a, I, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you here. That, that little saying that, that German like nonsense phrase, Gunter Glieben, glatten, globen was introduced by Mutt Lang, who is um, of German descent. He was also their, uh, their uh, producer. Yep. Uh, it says these four words that you hear, and this is according to the official Def Leppard FAQ. The four words you hear at the start of Rock of Ages mean nothing, though the band sometimes jokingly claims it means running through the forest silently. <laughs> it actually, it's actually just German-sounding gibberish said by producer Mutt Lang during one of the later takes of the song. Lang was a perfectionist and would often do dozens and dozens of takes. And after repeatedly beginning so many with the standard count one, two, three, four. He simply started saying nonsense words instead. The band liking this one so much that it, they included it on the album. Mm -hmm. Yep. And were you aware of that? Yep, I remember reading about that. And so the video start. The video was really memorable. It started out with some monks. There was an owl looking at a lady chained to a tree. Joe Elliott pulled a comically large sword out of a stone. There's occasional shots of a chess game and Rick Allen's crotch in his Union Jack shorts. And, you know, the, the person who directed the video, I'm sure when he, whoever pitched the, the, the concept for this video, I'm sure the guys in the song, uh, in the band said, you know, that's exactly what we were thinking about when we wrote this song. So let's take a listen to a little bit of Rock of Ages. You got something to say about that song now? Well, I mean, this is it's to me it's classic 80s rock. I mean, it's it's hair metal. It's a little bit heavier than a, a lot of other Def Leppard stuff. Um I'm I'd have to put this at my, one of my top 5. I really enjoy it as their newer stuff. I mean, some of their older stuff rocks a little harder, but I like this one. I think it works out rather well. It's just a good rock song for the 80s. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we're of course we're talking about the musical with Tom Cruise in it, right? <laughs> no, oh, Jesus, no. Um, it's a, it's a great song. It's great Def Leppard. It's it's that classic, you know, heavy metal that they they were so well known for. It was it was heavy metal that was on the edge, because as heavy metal fans, we would listen to it, and then you know, older people, parents, that kind of stuff would listen to it too. So you could kind of get both. Uh, both angles on that as far as who was listening to it and, you know, it wasn't too heavy all it's like the time. common ground. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And because it was more, see, at this point they were starting to move away from the, the heaviness 
of their first two albums, On Through the Night and High and Dry, to more going more glam, radio friendly glam metal. Which, don't get right. me wrong, I'm not saying that in a bad way. Um, I mean, Pyromania is a good album. Um, and Hysteria is not bad either. But after that, I kind of lost interest in the band. And again, one thing I got to give a hand to Def Leppard. Uh, you know, I mean, look at it happened with Rick Allen when he lost his arm. Um, you know, while that definitely did force the band to change its style, I think it's good that they kept him in the band and they worked with him and he's still performing in the band today. I got a couple things here. First thing, am I, am I the only sick bastard who actually watches the music videos to try to see him with one arm? <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, that's like, okay, let's see. Let's see. Cause they always do it in such a way that it doesn't show, but then occasionally you see the, the flapping sleeve. It's like, yes, there it is. And no, they, that would be, you'd be the sick bastard. Yes. Yep. Well, you're a sick one, bastard. One, Okay, well, just one confirmation. Uh, second thing, and you mentioned some of the newer stuff. I'm sorry, but Songs from the Sparkle Lounge, which is, I want to say, maybe within the last maybe 10 years or so, was actually pretty decent. So it, it, they didn't fall off. It's still the same formulaic um, glam that they're doing, but I think they got a little bit of a resurgence, in my opinion. Yeah, and I haven't had a chance to check out their later stuff, but I guess one of the reasons I, I kind of stopped after Hysteria is because it was released in 87 when I was entering middle school. And around this time, you know, the preppies and the cool kids who always thought they were better than me, they were starting to get into Def Leppard at this point. And, um, you know, because MTV was always playing their, uh, you know, video for woman or, or animal and, yeah, just so it's not necessarily their fault, but one of these days I might have to try to go back and check out some of their uh, later stuff. But still, their first three albums are still three of my favorite albums. Awesome. Okay, cool. All right. Who? What do you got? All right. Well, my kickoff one is going to be Man on the Silver Mountain by Rainbow. Now, this one was released in 1975. Rainbow was a metal match made in heaven or hell. Uh, ah. um, short version of the history, Blackmore wanted to record a couple different songs, but his Deep Purple bandmates, including David Coverdale, said, nah. Blackmore basically gave him the finger and said, decided to record it with Ronnie James Dio and a band called Elf, calling themselves Ricky, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. It went so well that Blackmore left Deep Purple, fired everybody except for Dio, and recruited new bassist, keyboardist, and drummer. The rest, as they would say, is history. Um, Man in the Silver Mountain, belted out by Dio's signature whale, as per Dio himself, is a semi-religious one, kind of a god figure that everyone is crying out to. I don't know about all that, because as you probably know how I feel about song meanings, but the song rocks. I mean, it shoves metal down your throat, it twists, and it's just great to listen to. Um, well, let's just take a listen for yourself. Now, two little pieces of trivia on this one. Dio is credited with popularizing the metal horns, so thank you for that. And on Dio's grave is the words, the man on the Silver Mountain, Ronnie James Dio, which is a fitting tribute. 
you know, I was throwing up the devil horns there, but of course you didn't see that because we're on Skype right now. <laughs> but we felt it in our soul. My my spy satellite did see it, and you need to put some pants on, man. Seriously. How did you know I'm not wearing any pants? Spy satellite. <laughs> Keyword there was spy satellite. Yes. Oh. I loaned okay. it from. But yeah, I mean, it's this is one of those songs I never really listened to much of. Uh, uh, you know, Rainbow, but this is one of the few songs I could recognize by them. And I mean, yeah, you're you're right. Just the way that uh, Ronnie James Dio just belts it out. And I mean, I was like, from what I remember of the last time I heard that song, again, it does tell that definite story in it, or it has that mythological feel that I was talking about um, earlier that you usually see with a lot of the, the British metal bands and other metal bands too, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, Rainbow, eh, never really a huge fan. But, you know, you turn on the vocals of Ronnie James Dio, and I don't care what name he puts on the band, whether it's Rainbow, whether it's Dio, whether it's... Sabbath. Sabbath, whether it's Elf. Or Heaven or Hell, I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this guy has vocals that are amazing. Oh, yeah, and instantly recognizable. Yes, absolutely. And, you know... You pretty much hit everything I had in my notes as far as, you know, what was going on with this. But, yeah, you know, honestly, solid song, great vocals. I really like this song. It's, yeah. I think it should be on any any staple list of metal from the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, with, I know he was in Black Sabbath for a while, and unfortunately, I never really listened to, had a chance to listen to much of the stuff from the the Dio era of Black Sabbath, but, you know, the couple songs I remember hearing, I felt he did add something to the band because, of course, whenever a band changes singers, it can be a risky venture because, you know, okay, how is this new singer going to sound? And then people are always concerned, well, maybe not concerned, but when they go to the live show, you know, how is this musician going to do how's the new singer going to handle the old singer stuff? But I, I personally felt from at least the few songs I've heard with him, he was a good addition to the band. I would agree. Um, one thing I'm just going to let you know about, I believe that either Wayne's World 1 or Wayne's World 2 deal with Black Sabbath did a song called Time Machine. That was and... uh, the world. That was the first one. They played okay. it when I... he was uh, speeding away from the cop. Okay, and that's fine. It's just one of the things, and uh, thanks for that, because I didn't remember which one it was, but that's a good one to listen to if you want some Dio-flavored Sabbath. And the fun fact, the I can't remember the guy's name, um, but he was the guy who played the cop in uh, Robert Patrick. Two. Robert Patrick, he was yes. the T-1000. Yep, and yeah, have you seen this boy? They did squeeze a lot of fun stuff into that, uh, into that movie, uh, first and the second one. Now let's go ahead and see what Chad's got for his song. All right, well, I'm going to kick off with actually one of the slower songs on my list, uh, Queen featuring David Bowie, Under Pressure. And I guess slow isn't the correct word, but it's one of the more laid-back songs. Uh, as we know, Queen is a British rock band, or was a British... I, I don't know if they're still touring or not. Sometimes they do, sometimes they, they don't. They throw different lead singers in there every now and then. Uh, they formed in London in 1970. Their classic lineup was Freddie Mercury, Brian May, Roger Taylor, and John Deacon. Uh, three of those guys are still part of the band. Obviously, Freddie's not. He's gone. He left us in 1992, I want to say, 91, 92. 
Uh, Queen's earliest works were influenced by progressive rock, hard rock, and heavy metal, but the band gradually ventured into more conventional and radio-friendly works by incorporating further styles such as arena rock and pop rock and other music. Pop rocks? <laughs> Who doesn't love pop rocks? Everyone loves pop rocks. Only, only with Coca-Cola, though. So now when we... <laughs> So now, this song, Under Pressure, according to Queen bass player John Deacon, Freddie Mercury did most of the songwriting on this, although everyone contributed. The the lyrics deal with how pressure can destroy lives, but love can be the answer. The lyrics are characteristic of Mercury's songwriting. Deacon, however, did come up with the iconic two-note bass riff, although he came very close to vanishing, according to Roger Taylor in the Days of Our Lives documentary. Deacon came up with the riff, and then the band went for pizza before coming back to continue rehearsals. Upon returning, returning Deacon had completely forgotten his idea. Oh, no. <laughs> so, let's take a listen to this song. If you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the beat while the DJ revolves it. So theft, that's right. <laughs> yeah, song theft. But anyway, so what? now I've talked a lot about Queen. David Bowie, who uh, passed away in 2016, unfortunately, uh, you know, just a great artist in his own right. Mm-hmm. And then lending his talents to this song. It's this is absolutely one of my favorite Queen songs. It's classic Queen with a little David Bowie thrown in. Does it get any better? There's, there's really not a whole hell of a lot to say about it. I mean, it's a good song. Everybody from that era is going to recognize that first few notes. Anybody from the 90s and forwards is going to recognize it as Al brought up as a Vanilla Ice song. That, according to Rob Van Winkle himself, it's not theft because it has, and I don't even know how he described it, but he like added an extra beat to it. He's like, this is mine. This is theirs. It's not theft. I'm like, really, dude? Yeah, and the courts didn't see that way because he ended up paying royalties to Queen. Yeah. And, and the funny thing... Rightfully the funny thing, so. Right, absolutely. And the funny thing about Queen is, and all four members have said this in in, a, in uh, interviews at one time or another, ask us. Oh, yeah. They're not even... They're not even... They weren't... They didn't do it to be stingy. They did it because... To you prove a point. You didn't ask a fucking question. Well, that's yeah. exactly right. You know, it's... Your parents always tell you this, and you can you can correct me because both of you are parents, correct? Yes. Yes. All right. Have you ever uttered the phrase, "If you would have, if you got, if you catch the kids doing something, just well, you should have just asked me." Oh yeah, absolutely. Which is a bullshit phrase, and I tell that coming as somebody who has gotten that talked to before doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's and- not true though. Not all the time. It can be a bullshit phrase, and sometimes it's used to prove a point. Exactly. As a parent, right? Yeah, and I, but, I agree with what you were saying before, where um. Again, not really a slow, but more laid back because it does have a very soothing feel with it. Um, and, you know, honestly, for the longest time, I did not realize that was a duet with David Bowie. Um, I always thought it was just, you know, Freddie maybe, you know, dubbing his voice for the, you know, the second part. Right, um, because their voices are very similar when you put them right next to each other. But they complement each other so well. They do. They do. You know, maybe. All right, Al. It, it's back to you, man. Back you to got? me. Okay, my next song, this is a, 
another one of those great groups from the new wave of British metal, and that is the legendary group Iron Maiden. Uh, this is their 1986 song, Wasted Years. Now, this isn't really my favorite Iron Maiden song. It ranks up there, but it's still, it's an awesome song. It's memorable because it's one of the first Iron Maiden songs I remember. I also loved the uh, cover to the album it came on, um, Somewhere in Time. Now, have you guys ever seen the full album cover for Somewhere in Time? Uh, no, doesn't ring a bell. Okay, well, one of the things that's fun about looking at the full album cover, there's a lot of little Easter eggs in there that call back to their songs or their previous albums. For example, uh, the Bruce in that is holding a, a brain, which, you know, that one of their previous albums was Peace of Mind. Um, also, there's a sign, Long Beach Arena, which was one of the venues in which they recorded their Live After Death album. Um, one of the buildings has a picture of Icarus with his wings burning, a reference to the song Flight of Icarus. And there's also a clock that reads uh, 2358, which you guys know what time that is, right? What was the number again? 23? 2358. Two minutes to doomsday? Two minutes to midnight. So, um, you know, of course, because they use the 24-hour the clock over there. And Two Minutes to Midnight was, of course, one of their uh, their songs. But we're not going to talk about that particular song. Instead, let's take a listen to a little bit from Wasted Years. I'll be honest, I am not a huge Maiden fan. I've listened to their stuff, more of their radio stuff, or the top ten songs, as it were. I didn't hear this one before actually listening to the track on this one. It's not bad. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite ones I've heard. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm in the same place. I was never a Maiden fan. Uh, the vocals on this song are very solid, though. I wasn't impressed with the music. It felt wrong for what they were saying, for the song they were singing. In, in my opinion. Well, have you ever seen the video for the song? No, no. no. <laughs> well, it's actually, it's a memorable video as well. Uh, it's mostly black and white footage of the band performing in a, you know, an empty studio, but it it's intercut with scenes from some of their other videos, their live performances, as well as pictures and videos from the, you know, the, like behind the scenes and one of the things about this song, oh yes, and also the video shows several of the, the many depictions of their mascot, Eddie. And it's fitting that they would do this where they would, because at first it shows the evolution of Eddie, but I, I think it's also good that they put in the behind the scenes stuff because one of the themes in this song is homesickness. And they wrote this song after their um, world slavery tour to support Power Slave. And during this time, they spent 331 days on tour and played 187 shows. So, I mean, can you imagine being away from your, your family and your friends for almost an entire year? 
but as the course um, says, you know, the message here, though, is you shouldn't waste your time looking back on, on that and instead look towards the future, look for what's going to come. Right. No, I, I agree with that, and I, and I get that, but, you know, like I said, to me, it's just kind of an eh song. Um, okay. I don't know. I think we should uh, move on to Lou. I'm going to follow up with, we're going to go with a Deep Purple song, seeing as how we talked about a, a little bit of Deep Purple before, and that's Fireball, by uh, released in 1971. I could have gone the easy route and done Smoke on the Water, because that's what anybody would do, but where's the fun in that? <laughs> sure, it's one of the most easily identifiable and revered riffs in the history of rock and roll, but there's not much I could really add that hasn't been said, so instead I chose Fireball. Beforehand, though, a little history. Uh, Deep Purple formed in 1968, are one of the most well-known hard rock bands from England. Together with Zeppelin and Sabbath, they've been referred to as the quote-unquote unholy trinity of British hard rock and heavy metal in the early to mid-70s. They had the distinction of being listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the Globe's loudest band in 1972 for their London Rainbow Theater concert, which hit a staggering 117 decibels that knocked three concert goers unconscious. <laughs> Sweet. Kind of awesome. Of course, since then, volumes have gone up, but for that time, it was huge. They split up in 1976 due to many of the band members at the time wanting to do solo projects. I say at the time because they've also gone through what would seem to be a nearly record number of shuffle-ups between 68 and 76, each one being listed as a mark. The one that most people know and is commercially successful is Mark II, Ian Gillen on vocals, John Lord on keyboard, Roger Glover on bass, Ian Pace on drums, and Richie Blackmore on guitar. The Mark II lineup reconvened in 1984 for a short stint, yet after more drama, they've been rocking ever since. For the purists, like I would consider myself a bit of a purist, the early 70s Mark II will always be the defining moment, which is also what gave us Fireball. We'll take, I got a little bit more, we'll take a listen here quick. Now, regarding the song, it has pretty much all the defining factors of the entire band enclosed in a neat, quick-moving package. High-speed drumming, high-speed singing, great guitar and bass work, and a really a tight approach to the organ work. Not that organ, but <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I like, I, like other Purple fans, love the classics, Highway Star, Hush, Woman from Tokyo, but after I found this one, my favorite shifted. I think it's a great song by an amazing band. Well, Lou... I hate to disagree with you. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me rephrase that. Lou, I'm going to disagree with you. <laughs> I thought the song was pretty much eh. All I wasn't right. impressed. There's some solid music going on there. I'll give you that. But the song just, it didn't make me feel anything. And music should make you feel something. And and this just didn't. Fair enough. Maybe I should have taken my organ out and played with that. <laughs> Well, go right ahead. Where they they can't see. Well, actually, Lou could see you playing. Disabling my satellite. Disabling my satellite. <laughs> <laughs> what are, what do you what do you think, Al? What what's your thought on the Deep Purple song? It's okay. I mean, I never really listened to much. Um, the 
I'd have to say of the songs that I can identify them. Uh, you mentioned Highway Star, and that's probably the one that I always go to. It's uh, one of my favorite video games, Rock and Roll Racing, for the Super Nintendo. They it's a include, very good game, yeah. Oh, yeah, and they included a... a yeah, you actually, guys go ahead and talk video games. <laughs> <laughs> they, they actually included a very good uh, version of the uh, of that song in there. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, I personally don't have much emotional attachment to Deep Purple um, other than Highway Star. I mean, yeah, they're good, but not really a, a band that I've listened to a lot. And everybody's got their own, like, you went more of the Iron Maiden route, I went more of the Purple route. So, I mean, it's just, it's great to have different differing opinions. Absolutely. And speaking of things that are different, Chad, what's the next one? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this one is from a band that I'm not a huge fan of, but I love this song. Judas Priest, Living After Midnight. Now, Judas Priest is an English heavy metal band formed in Birmingham, England in 1969. The band has sold close to 50 million albums. They are frequently ranked as one of the greatest metal bands of all time. I don't know why. <laughs> Despite an innovative and pioneering body of work in the latter half of the 1970s, the band struggled, struggled with indifferent record production, repeated changes of drummer, and lack of major commercial success or attention until 1980, when they adopted a more simplified sound on the album British Steel, which is where Living After Midnight came from. Uh, which helped shoot them to the rock superstar status. In 1989, they were named as defendants in an unsuccessful lawsuit alleging that subliminal messages on their song, Better You, or Better By You, Better Than Me, had caused the suicide attempts of two young men. So Living After Midnight, like I said, is a song by Judas Priest off of their British Steel album of 1980 which was their first gold album in the United States, selling more than 500,000 copies, and it eventually went platinum. The song speaks to the hedonistic, rebellious spirit of the late 1970s and early 1980s and is among the band's most popular songs. On live performances, the line, I took the city about 1 a.m., is sometimes changed to the particular city or venue the band is performing. For example, on the DVD Rising in the East, lead vocalist Rob Halford sings, I took... I took the Bodukin about 1 a.m. in reference to the stadium in Tokyo that uh, hosted the concert. On the Westwood One recordings from the 1983 U.S. Festival, Halford recites, I took some acid about 1 a.m. <laughs> so like I said, I'm not a huge fan of Judas Priest. Really like this song. Uh, great music, thunderous vocals and all that. Let's take a listen to it. All right, gentlemen, what do you got for me? Hit me. I like Go this. Ahead, I mean, I, I'm not not a huge hardcore Judas Priest fan, but I did get, you know, I have purchased some of their stuff. And I, I mean, I think I like about Living After Midnight. It's a happy song. You know, it just, it has that positive, I don't know, it just gives me a, a, a happy feeling. It's got a very uplifting sound. At least that's my It's opinion. got a positive and, beat. Absolutely. And I, again, I, that's cool how you said they would often, uh, you know, change it to fit whatever, you know, town or whatever venue they were playing at. Right, right. No, and yeah, that's kind of a neat thing. Um, I, you know, like I said, I'm not a huge fan. There's a few Judas Priest songs that I really enjoy for the most part. 
they are a band that I would probably buy a greatest hit CD from, and I would have all the priests that I need. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Two yeah. things I had about this one here is now wasn't Judas Priest one of the bands that like somebody couldn't perform or whatever, so they pulled like a somebody from a uh, what is it like a cover band to replace maybe I don't know I don't think it was Halford but it was somebody else I could be wrong on this one I thought well, somebody from a I know they did break up with uh, Rob Halford for a while and I think. I think the person who took his place was Tom or something Ripper Owen. Um, I know his nickname was Ripper, but I don't know the exact story as to why they, uh, you know, why they they broke up. But uh, it said that it was inspiration for the uh, the Mark Wahlberg film Rockstar. Okay. I've got the internet's in front of me. Um, Tom, Tim, not Tom, Tim the Ripper Owen. So yeah, he was. Uh, their vocalist for a bit, and uh, I, I haven't listened to any of the Owens era stuff, but uh, a friend of mine um, he he recommends it, and you know he he thinks it's really good. Now, um, one of the other things I was going to mention about this, I seem to recall um, my cousins when we would go the same ones that if you remember that I would watch wrestling with. Yep. Friday okay. nights. Okay. Um, whenever their mom would get mad, instead of yelling Jesus Christ. It would be Judas Priest. <laughs> so that is, I will always remember that, obviously, to my dying day, because I just remember that album being out there. And I think, not British Steel, but what was the one that had, like, the eagle swoop it, swoop, swooping down? You got me, man. Well, oh, that, oh, I just, oh, I know it. Not Turbo? Um, oh, no. I, there's, I know anyway. there's someone out there uh, screaming at their uh, media player. No, it's this. I, Oh, you know, man. and send a message. Anybody who's yeah, listening, send, send a message. Wait, but I got the internet's in front of me, so let me uh, see if I can find it. But yeah, it's like they did, um, just scanning through the Wikipedia articles, yeah, they yeah, did have some tensions, and um, Rob uh, Helford left to form the group Fight, but he had to stay with the band a little bit uh, for a little bit because of the contract. Uh, let's see. Screaming well, for Vengeance. Here. Yeah, that's All the right. one with the eagle, Screaming for Vengeance. And I just remember that cover because it was very metal. Yeah, the, so, the one that I that always gets me is uh, Painkiller because um, I, I ended up picking up that album because one of my favorite video games is called Brutal Legend. And Rob Halford actually does the voice for one of the villains in that game. And um, there's there's a part where you're in this, this first big battle and they play the song – one shot at glory and i heard that song i'm like i shit my pants in joy and then i went out and got the album because it was just so awesome um but yeah there's a lot of good songs on screaming for vengeance um electric eye is one of my favorite ones um screaming for vengeance but anyways all right well let's bring it back around to you al what do you got next okay so next i've got one of those bands that was actually active before the new wave of British metal, and that is Black Sabbath. So probably one of the most influential metal bands of all time. And unfortunately for this one, I am going to be taking the easy route by choosing one of their more well-known songs, and that is Iron Man from 1970. Uh, and this is from, of course, Paranoid, which... I think many heavy metal fans would consider that to be, that's one of the albums that should be in every heavy metal fans music collection. I, 
I would agree with that. Yep. I, I would have to say it would have to be just in everybody's music collection. <laughs> so um, the and the, the actually the place where I first remember hearing Iron Man was when I was used to watch wrestling, and for a while the tag team the Road Warriors used Iron Man as their their ring entrance music. So. Of course, it's driven by that very famous guitar riff. So why don't we just uh, take a listen to Iron Man for a moment? And the name for that song, and the this it was actually from Ozzy Osbourne because you know they I believe the Iron Man comic had been released at this point, but uh, he just felt when he heard that guitar riff that it it brought to mind some big Iron bloke walking. So what do you guys think of Iron Man? It's 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 the song. It's the album i mean it's all part of the whole package iron man is one of those songs that everybody knows the song i don't care if you listen to heavy metal or if you listen to country you know the song you've heard it somewhere and probably from the movie (laughs) (laughs) in the movie you know or it's it's very very popular on uh you know not just you know your your modern rock stations but also a lot of times whenever they you know do classic rock or, or classic rock stations you're going to hear Iron Man somewhere in the rotation. Well, and it's one of those things. It's one of those songs that I'm sure has been covered a million times. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, you know, you will still hear this every once in a while. You'll hear this song on IFC, which is our top 40 um, station in town here. At night, sometimes you will hear Iron Man. Huh. It's, It's one of those things where... It has an overall appeal. It doesn't matter if you're a millennial. It doesn't matter if you're a Gen Xer like us. It's just one of those things. It's one of those bands, one of those songs that has influence over the last 40 years. You know, and I think if, if it's playing on IFC, what I'm thinking, it's probably one of those bathroom break songs. Because, <laughs> mod- because let's and hear me out. If you think about it, modern songs are usually maybe three to four minutes. Yep. Because, honestly, people nowadays don't have the attention span to stick around for a song. So what they'll do is they'll put on something like Freebird or Stairway to Heaven or something like that because right. then they got enough time to take a dump, they got enough time to go have a cigarette, have a, have food. It's a shit song. It, that's I think DJs actually call it as such. But now because you don't want to put Zeppelin on there, you don't want to put Stairway or Freebird. But Iron Man, because Iron Man is still a Marvel character, even though it's not what the song's about, right. they can play this on the Top 40 station and get their longer song, finger quotes, so they get their bathroom break. Go have a smoke, I, go take a dump. There you yep. go. Yeah, and um, another again, another friend of mine. He when you mentioned the bathroom break song, uh, there was this one radio DJ. I don't remember the guy's name. It was this was one of the stations I listened to back in like high school. So this was about <clears throat> so AM. <laughs> well, but yeah, I think he he always called uh, Pink Floyd's "Dark Side of the Moon." a good bathroom break album because he, he was like, yeah, you could pretty much, cause this was back in the days when they still played the vinyl, but he's like, right. Yeah. You could drop that needle just about anywhere in the album and then have plenty of time to go to the bathroom, do your thing and get back. 
It's that's about right. That that sounds about right. And it does tell a good story too. Um, you, you know, because it's essentially about a fel- self fulfilling prophecy. Because you know, you got this guy that goes into the future. He sees some sort of you know bad event. You know, he comes back. He's turned to steel in the great magnetic field, and you know, no one can understand him anymore. So he gets kind of frustrated and kills everybody. <laughs> Thus fulfilling the prophecy. Exactly. You know, it sounds more like he turned into Dr. Doom than Iron Man, but at the same time <laughs> that I digress. All right, Lou, what do you got next? We're going to go with uh, easy living by Uriah heap. Nice. Now, 1972, this song was penned by Ken Hensley it's a really fast-tempoed song, um, really short. It's actually under three minutes, which is very surprising for the 70s, especially for a rock song in the 70s. But please don't hold that against them. This song has a great rock beat, and believe it or not, could very well be potentially spiritual. The general consensus about the meaning of the song is that it's a guy who either finds a higher power or becomes, quote-unquote, born again or finds a significant other in his life. We're going to go again, as you listeners know, how I feel about meanings when it comes to songs. He doesn't believe in them. (laughs) For new listeners, here it goes. I don't give a shit. Regardless, if it's about finding God or finding his woman, I don't care. I think the song rocks. It's always been one of my favorites. Let's just take a quick listen. one little thing I have here is I'm not a huge fan of all of their work and initially the t- the name of the band kind of turned me off a little bit because um, Uriah makes me think of urine and it's just like no but listen to their music it's absolutely worth a listen at very least okay so little bit of uh, of trivia here for you the name Uriah Heap where do you think they got it from I do not know. It is from a Charles Dickens novel called uh, David Copperfield. Uriah Heep is a lawyer in the book. Um, so, yeah, that's all I got. That's that's a little bit of research I did. But <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny that I'm like, uh, and I've read David Copperfield, so I, I don't know. But something's like, that That sounds like a name. And when I found out it was a band, I'm like, no, there's got to be more to this. And sure enough, it was, it was from uh, from there. Now, as far as the song goes... I knew the song. Love the song. It's one of those classic, you know, cruising songs. Oh, yeah. But I did not know what band did it. I did not know it was Uriah Heep. I had no idea. You know, it's one of those songs you hear it on the oldie station, and you don't even think about it. You don't You don't care who's singing it because it's just good music. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the intro to this song. It's like it catches you right away. It's it like, digs. It digs the hooks in. Yeah, right away. The hook is there. You don't have to wait for it. Um, like I said, it's just a very solid song. Um, and 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 I did my trivia. So Al, what do you got to say? Well, unfortunately, this is a. I mean, it's okay. This is not again one of those groups that I really don't have any emotional attachment or investment in, um, because I never really listened to um, any of their stuff. So I've probably heard you know, their stuff on the radio, just didn't realize it. 
Um, the only way I really... This is the only song they released in America, so you probably haven't heard anything else. <laughs> well, there's one other song I heard, but it was a cover. Um, another artist I listened to, Vintersorg, um, who's a, a Swedish uh, musician. He did a cover of their song Rainbow Demon on the Cosmic Genesis album. But... Yeah, I said, unfortunately, I don't have much to say about the group just because I'm not really familiar with their uh, their their music or their body of work. Okay, I'm going to step back here. I was wrong. It's not the only song they released in the United States. It's the only hit they had in the United States. <laughs> I was going to say, because I know they had the song Stealing. Oh, okay. And that's probably another one, too. In fact, this kind of touches on what both of you said, is there's a lot of songs out there that I've encountered, which I'm sure obviously you guys have, where it's like, I know this song. But I couldn't tell you if somebody had a gun pointed in my head, who the hell does this song? Nowadays, we've got Shazam. It's great. We don't have to wait for the ass DJ to come on and be like, and that was such and such. Because half the time, they'd always do like one of the ten songs they just played. Right, they, they do the last song, and you're like, but three songs ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and that's, I know that's part of the problem, I think, with uh, commercial radio is sometimes they only play the songs that, you know, are considered radio friendly or more commercial friendly. That's going to go for that wide stream appeal where, you know, the band might have a lot of other really good songs. It's just for whatever reason, the, you know, the DJs just don't give them any airtime. And um, I think in some regards, it's like if you have bands that maybe they've got their, you know, their three minute long, three, four minute long songs that, you know, are more radio friendly, but then they might have some, you know, eight, nine minute long songs that are really good. It's just, you're probably never going to hear them on the radio. You know, that's, I have to say, that's why I kind of dig like the shows like Sammy Hagar has an evening show and Alice Cooper nights with Alice Cooper. He plays a lot of like the deep cuts and B sides and thank you, man. If not that you're listening, but Thank you. Well, of course he is. Yeah. Oh, yes, I'm um, sure. Uh, you know, maybe in the next couple of weeks you'll even get a, a you know an email from uh, from uh, Alice Cooper saying, "Hey, I'm glad yeah, you like my show." Yeah, a cease and desist, probably. And if you but, are listening, Mr. Cooper, um, if you would like to sponsor Point of Insanity Network, uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't think any of the three of us would say no. No, we would not. All right, so no. Now it comes the time where we get to move to our third person on what his song is. So, Chad, what you got for us? I have Pink Floyd's Welcome to the Machine. So Pink Floyd was an English rock band formed in London. They achieved international acclaim with their progressive and psychedelic music. Ooh. I know. Distinguished by their use of uh, philosophical lyrics, sonic experimentation, extended compositions, and elaborate live shows, They were the most commercially successful and influential groups in the history of popular music. Welcome to the Machine is the second song on Pink Floyd's 1975 album, Wish You Were Here. Written by bassist Roger Waters, it features heavily uh, processed synthesizers and acoustic guitars, as well as a wide range of tape effects. The song describes the band's disillusionment with the music industry as a money-making machine rather than a form of artistic expression. The plot centers on an inspiring musician getting signed by a CD executive to the music industry, The Machine. The voice predicts all of his seemingly rebellious ideas. You bought a guitar to punish your your ma. You didn't like school, and you know you're nobody's fool. His illusions of personal identity are further crushed with the lines such as, What did you dream? It's alright. We told you what to dream. Let's take a listen. (laughs) 
And now that I'm done telling you what to listen to, you know, it's just Pink Floyd is one of those bands, well-known, yes, very much a psychedelic, um, experimental type music. They have a long history of non-history because they fight constantly and break up, get back together. <laughs> what are they, like England, like the progressive rock version of the Eagles or what? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But, you know, it's it, they're one of those bands. I absolutely love Pink Floyd. I love the music they do. You know, and it doesn't really matter what album. And, you know, they, they do all this different type of stuff. It's just, to me, it's a fun band because you never, you never know exactly what you're going to get. You know, it, it, they are a good band, and they are definitely one of those uh, legends of rock. And, though, can I tell you a sad story that uh, how I relate to this song, or do you want me not to be a total uh, uh, buzzkill here? I say, I say Buzz Killington, you take it over, and then I'll bounce you back. Okay. See, one of the reasons the song, I mean, I like the song, don't get me wrong, but unfortunately it does bring back certain memories to me because um, back in 2006, I was kind of forced to leave a job that I really liked and I really enjoyed, and it gave me a chance to use a lot of my creative, you know, desire or creative um, abilities, and I had, I ended up getting a job as a welder in a factory. And I remember, I think it was like the first or second night I worked there, I was like in a, doing a 12 hour shift and they were listening to the radio. And I remember them playing this song and I guess it kind of hit me because I went from a job where I was working at a planetarium. It was a dream job for me. Like I said, I really loved it. I loved the work I did. Um, you know, and I got to do a lot of creative things there. So I went from that to being just just another cog in the machine, you know, or as another song by Pink Floyd would put it, just another brick in the wall. Um, so and it really took me a lot of a few years before I could get past the negative emotions that I had with some of the music that I associated with that time in my life and finally start enjoying it again. But um, like I said, that's what, that's how I kind of reacted with the song for a while. Cause it reminded me of, yeah, I went from this job that I truly loved to a job that I didn't like and took just because I needed to survive and I had bills to pay, but I went to becoming just part of a machine. So I, I hear you, man. I okay. hear you. And, and I'm going to wipe the tear from my eye. And we're going to let Lou bring us back up. Yes, you now know, that you're all, hopefully you're not on the verge of shooting yourself in the head from depression right now. So, Lou, bring us back up. I can bring you guys back up with two words. Laser Floyd. Yeah! You know, we used to do la uh, Pink Floyd laser light shows at the planetarium I used to work at. Thanks, Chad. You just sent me back down into the gutter again. Or not Chad, Lou. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, well, I was thinking of, like, that 70s show, if you recall yeah. one episode where they wanted to go to Laser, Laser Floyd. Floyd. But they wanted, to, but they had to do the dinner instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I have to say, Pink Floyd, for me, it's very hit or miss. A lot of their stuff gets kind of sleepy, almost. You get some, like, I'm a big fan of time and money. Dark Side is one of my absolute favorite, and I think probably the world's favorite, too. It's one of the top selling yeah. of all time, I think. I think, and, um... I think that I was reading somewhere that I am wanting to say either one in 54 or one in 57 people in the world has dark side of the moon 
in some form of media or the other, whether it's a oh, vinyl, yeah. a cassette, or one of the, the re-releases on CD. But yeah, See, And I would wager your paycheck that all three of us have a copy on CD. Yep. <laughs> you, you just lost your wager because I don't have a copy on CD. And that's Al's paycheck. I'm okay with that. Oh, <laughs> See what I did there? No, but um, no, I'm time, money. Um, those are like two of the favorite ones, especially time. The clocks intro on that one. Love it. Now, again, some of the, the Floyd stuff, I get what they try to do, but like wish you were here and stuff. It's all kind of or, or like mother. Um, it just is almost sleepy to me. Mm-hmm. I get what they're trying for. It's not 100% something I will stay on every time. Welcome, Machine. It's very – it's it exactly – I mean, I'm going to touch back on your sorrow for a moment, Al. I mean, it makes you think about being in that shitty job where you are nothing but a number. And yep. that – and I think uh, – what it was it? Seeger. Bob Seeger had um, a song similar to that, like just a, not a number or something. But that being the case, I mean, everybody feels that way. At one right. point in time, I mean, you swipe your badge, you go in there, you come home, and you're nothing but a dear seven two four five one one nine. Yep. Yep. You but home, you're just an empty shell, and you know that's one of the things that you you know when you do work a soul crushing day job is yeah you get home from you know from work and all you want to do is just kind of drink yourself into a stupor and crash on crash in bed, you know. What do you mean, Juana? Lou and I are doing that right now. <laughs> You're crashing in bed. No, but anyway, to, to, to wrap up Pink Floyd here, um, <laughs> the album was an immediate commercial and critical success. It topped the Billboard top LPs and tape charts for a week and remained in the charts for 741 weeks from 1973 to 1988. And now let's just, just think about this for a second. I mean, 700 weeks. A, a year is, what, 52 Two. weeks? So how many years is that for all you math people? That um, that's uh, fifteen years. Fifteen freaking years. That it stayed in the top one hundred of the charts. That is amazing. Definitely yep. impressive. And, and with that, Al, what do you got up next? Well, uh, next I've got another one of those groups that predates the British wave of heavy metal, and uh, this is one of my uh, one of my favorite groups because they're very diverse in their style, and that's Led Zeppelin. Now. Of course, it would be easy to just do Stairway to Heaven. Most well, I wish people, you had. <laughs> most people like Stairway to Heaven. Um, I, I forgot whether it was Robert No Stairway. Plant. Denied. Oh, yeah, that, that scene in Wayne's World. No Stairway. But I, I forgot whether – I think it was Robert Plant once said in an interview that he hated Stairway. He always called it that bloody wedding song. But I'm going to take one of the songs that actually came just before – Stairway on their uh, fourth album, Led Zeppelin. Well, some people call it Led Zeppelin Four. Other people call it Zoso uh, because of the four symbols that they had on the the album. Each one to a fun fact. Each one to a band member. And that's Battle of Evermore from 1971. And Jimmy Page came up with much of the music while he was just messing around on John Paul Jones's mandolin. And he had actually never played a mandolin before. Also noted with this song is that it features a guest musician, a folk singer named Sandy Denny, um, who kind of echoes Robert Plant in some of the lyrics. Um, when playing live, John Paul Jones would often do the, black, the backing vocals. And 
in my opinion, I think John Paul Jones is probably one of the most severely underrated musicians of all time. <laughs> I mean, the guy plays several different instruments. He's, you know, just done a lot for the work of music, but he's kind of that that forgotten member of Zeppelin. And Zeppelin, of course, there's several urban legends about them, but uh, there's one that supposedly the members of the group were going to sign a deal with the devil and John Paul Jones was the only one who didn't. So while, you know, the others became, you know, more well-known and more successful, you know, he didn't, but he didn't also go through as many of the personal tragedies as the others did. And now, of course, that's a urban legend. I'm pretty sure they didn't um, sign a deal with the devil. Uh, one of the reasons Maybe one I of the like minions, this, but not quite the big guy himself. What's yeah, that? Chances actually signing with the devil is pretty slim. I think he was kind of busy at the time with the whole devil horns and everything. He probably just got like one of his secretaries. Yeah, probably. But the lyrics are seeped in fantasy, and which is another one of the reasons I really like this song. Uh, one popular interpretation for the song is it might be uh, supposed. It, it might be inspired by the battle of Pelennor Fields from. Uh, Tolkien's novel Return of the King which wouldn't be surprising because uh, Zeppelin did uh, refer to some of Tolkien's other works and some of their songs but let's take a listen to Battle of Evermore the All right, Al, are you, are you ready for the spanking? <laughs> I'm going to guess you're probably not too crazy about this song. No, no, this song was, it, it made me sad. Oh, how so? Because it's just so boring. I'm sorry, I, I know you like the song, but and I wrote here that the lyrics uh, could be really useful in a and d campaign. I, I really don't see this song making any of my playlists. It just... It was very slow. It was not Zeppelin, in my opinion, and and really it wasn't. It was Robert Plant and and Sandy Denny. Um, I mean, it was on a Zeppelin album, but that doesn't make it Zeppelin, if that makes any sense to you guys. Um, so you just feel that uh, Battle of Evermore doesn't it doesn't have the same general feel um, as a lot of their other songs do. Correct. Correct. That's why when you said I could have went the easy way with Stairway to Heaven, I'm like, you should have. <laughs> because don't get me wrong, I really like Zeppelin. I just really don't like this song. And and I'm not going to rip it apart because it, it is what it is. But what do you think, Lou? You know, Ruins for whatever you want to call it. This is one of the first Zeppelin albums I ever bought. Or CDs. We're going to go Same there. Here. <laughs> who, who the hell buys albums back in the day? For me, I got mine on cassette tape, but... <laughs> You know, and so I just, this is one of those that I would skip past because it just, it didn't hold my attention. And it was one of those where kind of to piggyback off of what you were saying, Chad, here, it's almost like they kept the recording going and they noodled around a little bit and it sounded okay. And the producer said, hey, we need some fillers, so throw this on there. You know, this, they may have done this on purpose. In fact, they probably did. It just wasn't my cup of tea. 
I was more of the the more of the heartbreaker, more of the black dog, more of the rockin' Zeppelin with the stage lights and everything else. I, I, don't get me wrong, telling a story, great. But but honestly, in concert, this is the one where you go to the bathroom. See, I have to say though, I mean, I do think it fits well on in where it's placed on that the first side of the album because you know you have uh, Black Dog and Rock and Roll that are these you know you know these arena rocking almost. songs. It slows down a little bit with Battle to Evermore, and then you have Stairway to Heaven where it starts out slow and then builds up into a hard rocking crescendo. So I can I, see that. Am I the only uh, one who I just, noticed that? Or? No, no, no. I mean, a lot of it's – listen to a lot of songs, they do that. I mean, let's think of Freebird, for example. It starts off slow, and then like a lot of Southern Rocks, it hits a certain spot, and then it goes crazy. Oh, yeah. And Zeppelin did this with Evermore and with Stairway. I just – I don't know. I think they slowed it down too much. It's kind of like they went from fourth gear to – first and then they decided to actually kick it in to second and third when they went to stairway yeah and i see i think zeppelin in a way it's kind of like pink floyd in that they're one of those groups that they're hit or miss with some people where you know there's a you know as we were talking about when we were discussing welcome to the machine yeah there's some songs that just really hit you where it counts but then they have other songs that it's like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of fast forward past this song. Absolutely. You know, and, and generally speaking, Runes is one of those albums you can listen to, in my mind, almost the whole thing without skipping. That, unfortunately, is the one that ruins it for me. Yeah. I have to skip it. Yeah. And there, there have been some really good covers of it, though. Um, the Wilson Sisters, they did a good cover of it. And uh, later in the... I'm wanting to say it was like 94, uh, Plant and Page came together to, they did their song, um, or their album, No Quarter, which was uh, part of the MTV back when they would do like their, uh, you know, their their acoustic rock specials. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know if this was associated with them at all, but it was in the same general, general style. And the version of Battle of Evermore on that is... Um, it adds a Mideastern flair to it because they have the Egyptian ensemble uh, that was performing along with them. And I, I would recommend checking it out. I mean, you'll, you, I, I know you to don't keep, like the uh, original version, but who knows? Maybe you'll like that version a little better. You know, I'll keep an open mind. The Egyptian flair to it actually sounds kind of interesting. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. So, it, and like I said, it is actually, it's, it is nice what they did with the, uh, um, you know, with the style for that particular song. And it still has, I mean, because I know whenever a band is going to do like a, a remade version of one of their songs, I mean, some people just kind of roll their eyes like, oh no, they're going to ruin it. But, you know, or there, we have that expectation where it's not going to be as good as the original. But I personally think the version from No Quarter is just as good as the original. But that's just my opinion. All right, I think we need to move on with this. However, I want to put this this final note on this. Instead of a mandolin, he could have sold me this song with a different instrument. That instrument, the sitar. <laughs> that would give it the Middle Eastern flair, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Actually, I, I don't know if they use a sitar on the uh, the No Quarter version. I'd have to look at the uh, inside of the CD cover to see if they, they list the instrumentation. But anyways, moving how about, on. How about an accordion? 
No. Yes. <laughs> or bagpipes. No. Oh, bagpipes. No. Be, bagpipes would be badass. No. Actually, anyway, there, there you got group that I've heard that did do a version that did incorporate a bagpipe. Um, it was a Celtic folk group. I think they were called Stone Circle. But they did a, a ver- I believe they did a version of this song that they extended it to like ten minutes long, and they included a bagpipe in it. We'll have to check that out now. My next one that I have here, we're gonna go the polar opposite of the Battle of Evermore. We're gonna go with through the fire and the through the fire and flames by Dragon Force. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Oh, yes. And Al wakes up. <laughs> Now, this song came out in 2005, and anybody who has played Guitar Hero before knows and curses this song. The song is rated anywhere from 170 to 200 beats per minute, and it was bestowed upon us by the English power metal band Dragon Force. It originally came out in 2005, and it peaked at 86 and 61 in the U.S. and Canada, respectively. Then, due to being a bonus track and used during the end credits of 2007's Guitar Hero 3 Legends of Rock, it took on new life. Following the release of the following the release of the game, the CD sales increased by 126% in one week. Their digital downloads went from 2,000 per week to 10,000 per week nearly immediately. Let's just take a quick listen. Now, this is speed metal at its finest. Um, I remember completing the game and seeing this song in the end credits. I was like, oh, cool, a bonus song, but for a few minutes. And then my elation went right out the window and changed to finger-blistering horror. (laughs) It was one of the first songs for me to garner a what-the-fuck when trying to play it due to the hyperspeed and disgusting amount of notes that one's expected to play. I don't hold any bitterness towards it, though, as I find it hella enjoyable to listen to. And anybody who can play this one and get, like, the perfects on YouTube... Great, more power to you, but at the same time, I appreciate your skill, but fuck you, because I can't do it that good. Okay, so with Guitar Hero, I've played Guitar Hero a few times, but on Rock Band 3, the song was used, it was made available for download, I'm sorry, the song was made available for download for Rock Band 3 on March 29, 2011 for both Basic Rhythm and Pro Mode, (laughs) in which you can utilize Real musical instruments. Nice. Could you imagine trying to play that for real? No. Watch the music video. It's insane. But yeah, you know, it's when, just when you talk about Guitar Hero, um, I, another there's a, another song on I think it's Guitar Hero Three, um, Slayer's Rain and Blood. I was joking. My sister came over and I decided to troll her. Um, I'm like, oh, there's a Slayer. So we were playing it. I'm like, you know, hey, there's a song called uh, Rain and Blood by Slayer. Why don't you give that one a try? It's not too hard. She just about hit me <laughs> with the guitar-shaped controller. <laughs> but I don't ass. blame her. <laughs> but, you know, they actually through Fire and Flame did appear in another video game, uh, Brutal Legend, that I was talking about before. And it's used perfectly. See, one of the things in this video game, you have this car called the Deuce, and you drive it around and, you know, to get from A to B. And there's different licensed um, metal and rock songs. And whenever you switch it, it makes the sound, the clicking sound like a cassette tape. Um, like you were putting it in the, the player. 
but through fire and flames is one of the songs on there and it takes place after your main character um eddie has uh defeated the the villain that was actually voiced by uh rob halford and he's trying to drive out of the, the villain's castle while it's crumbling and that's the song you play that they play in the background while you're trying to drive through this you know crumbling ruin of a castle and there's demons and giant creatures trying to attack you and it fits just so fucking perfectly excellent excellent now all i gotta say it's a great song the the guitar work is superb the words mean nothing i know there's words to it but who cares fantasy stuff yeah. yeah it's just it's just that guitar riff and that just constant you know for whatever it is a three minute song four minute song whatever it is it grabs you by the ears and does not let go until yeah, it's over. Yeah, exactly. When you mentioned uh, there, I believe there's other bands that have also had the guitar hero effect where, you know, one of their songs was on one of those uh, games. And then, you know, then all of a sudden they see a huge, um, you know, a huge increase in the number of people uh, hopefully buying their songs from, you know, iTunes or some other source. And, uh, you know, the, I think it's cool that that happens because that, and that's one of the things I like about uh, Guitar Hero and Rock Band is it does expose you to some musicians that you may not have otherwise had a chance to listen to. All right. Well, let's see. What do you got next for us, Chad? Uh, next, we're going to go to uh, The Who, My Generation. Who? This is The Who, yes. Who? Oh, oh, yes. Um, It's The Who. Yeah. Oh, oh, The Who. Right. Okay. Sorry. Bad joke. That's all right. The Who are an English rock band that formed in 1964. Their classic lineup consisted of lead singer Roger Daltrey, guitarist and singer Pete Townshend, bass guitarist John Entwistle, and drummer Keith Moon. They are considered one of the most influential rock bands of the 20th century, selling over 100 million records worldwide and holding a reputation for their live shows and studio work. Townshend reportedly wrote the song on a train and is said to have been inspired by the Queen Mother, who is alleged to have had Townsend's 1935 Packard hearse towed off a street in Belgravia because she was offended by the sight of it during her daily drive through the neighborhood. Townsend was also credited uh, Moses Allison's Young Man Blues as the inspiration for the song, saying, Without Moses, I wouldn't have written My Generation. Townsend told Rolling Stone magazine in 1985 that My Generation was very much about trying to be, trying to find a place in society. He also goes on in 1989 on a Good Morning America interview to say that when he wrote the lyrics old, as in, I hope I die before I get old, he actually meant very rich. Okay. So let's take a listen to it, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. People try to put us to death. Just because we get around. So this is just one of those songs, it's one of those songs that you know it, you hear it, it's great. It's just one of those songs that, you know, it gets into your mind, it wakes up the fun centers and you sing along. I just love this song. It's a good song and I, who is... They're definitely one of the most influential rock bands, and I have to agree with you on that. And uh, I think one of the things is because 
they had a lot of power behind their performances, but they could keep that power under control. Because um, sometimes you you have you might listen to a group where you know maybe the guitar is being over you know is uh, drowning out everything else and or maybe the singer is coming out too loud. But even though they had a lot of like I said a lot of power and loudness behind their music, you know it always was kept in a really good balance. So that's one of the things I've always liked about the Who. You know, and you'd mentioned keeping it under control, and my thought was, isn't that the band that kind of started with smashing guitars and oh, yeah. stuff like that? So mm-hmm. when you said that, I'm chuckling to myself going, I'm glad you explained what you meant by that, because when it came to stage show, I think that's not really correct. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, when you were talking about groups that, you know, for some time had, you know, a world record for loudest performance, I think the Who was on that for a while until they were eventually unthrown i think they were unthroned by man of war but yeah let me let me just double check on the internet here but i'm pretty sure they did have a the world's loudest performance for a while i do remember reading a a, a story once though about townsend destroying a guitar and then he realized it was only like intermission (laughs) (laughs) whoops hopefully he had a couple of spares in the back I'm pretty sure by that time they did. Well, I mean, he wrecked the guitar at intermission. I mean, there's been times where Keith Moon passed out. They had to have an audience member come up and play with them. I mean, there's no shortage of drama for The Who. Oh, no, no, absolutely and, not. And I'm sorry, we're going to get back to 70s show for a second. I'm sorry, that's one of my favorite episodes when uh, Daltrey was the music teacher. For, yes. For Fez's um, for musical. Yes. That was hilarious. I just watched that episode the other night. <laughs> Cheeseburgers. <laughs> You fat Americans. <laughs> All right, so let's finish it out. Al, what do you got for your last one? Okay, for my last one, um, I've got, uh, for this next band, they're one of the ones that, they're kind of that mid-ground where some people consider them as part of the new wave of British metal. Others don't, and that's because they were active before the you know, the new wave of British metal was, was recognized. Um, though the lead singer for the band actually never considered themselves metal. And I'm talking about Motorhead. And the song I'd like to talk about is their 1980 hit Ace of Spades. And this song always has positive memories for me because I still remember the first time I heard the song and saw their performance. Um, the, there's a, a British TV series that they used to show on MTV called the young ones. Oh yes. Yep. And as one of the, the trailers said, they're a group of college students who spend more time watching the telly and setting each other's beds on fire than actually going to, than going to classes. And the exception of the fire thing, that's probably why I didn't do so well at UWMC. (laughs) Too much time watching the telly. Uh, yeah, actually, um, Chad, you can probably attest to part of that. <laughs> yeah, because I was right there with them. That's why I didn't do so well. <laughs> the episode that they were on was called University Challenge, and that's where um, the the young ones were chosen to represent their their uh, college in a in a uh, a game show called University Challenge, where they would answer questions from or they would they would answer questions against uh, another. A group of students from a different college, and um, they Neil, who was the long-haired hippie, he he kept trying to remember what he was supposed to tell them. Then they're like, 
oh, we got to get to the, the the TV studio by this time. And they're like, oh, that leaves us with exactly two minutes. And then um, they start, you know, one of the they're like music. And then they start having Motorhead playing um, their song. And it, it, it intercuts with a, a performance by the band as well as the, you know, them trying to get to the studio and like uh, Vivian, the punk of the group. He runs by this one um, baker stand, grabs a donut, shoves it in his face, and then he does a hand gesture where it's like if you make a peace sign and then turn it so your the back of your hand is facing towards the, the other person, and he does does that, that gesture to the person at the counter, which, of you know, because in, in, in the UK, that's the equivalent of giving someone the middle finger. Um, so that, that's what really uh, made that song memorable for me. So why don't we take a listen to Ace of Spades? Now, just to, I have to say, just to touch on that show for just a second, during the High Quiz Bowl is basically what it was. I just remember um, Adrian, because Rick Mayo, Rick Mayo was in this also. <laughs> they yes. put a P in front of it, so whenever his name came up, he came up as Prick. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty entertaining. No, it's it's an entertaining show. Lemmy is a rock god. I mean, there's no other bones about it. We've talked about him on the WWF opening themes yep. for Triple H. The guy's the man. I mean, it's a shame that we lost him in the last, what was last year? Or was it last six months, maybe? It's not been a long time. No, it's a shame we lost him. Um, the guy was insane. He was awesome. I have nothing bad to say about Motorhead. You know, considering yeah, I, how much you know, drugs and alcohol that guy did, it's amazing he lasted as long as he did. No yeah. more than Motley Crue or, or Aerosmith or any of those other ones yeah. from the 70s. Well, I think you it's know, like he used to drink like a bottle of Jack Daniels a day. Who doesn't? I don't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't either. Okay. Um, but anyway, you know, this is this is what I wrote on here was Power, Speed, and Lemmy on vocals. It's the trinity of metal music. I mean, there yeah. is a, the, the the vocals, the just the, the way his voice sounded. It wasn't like anybody else's. Mm-mm. It was just amazing. And I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say other that you guys haven't touched on yet. I just, you know, we'll miss you, Lemmy. And to go back to Brutal Legend. He actually played a character on that called the Killmaster, um, who, and of course it looked, you know, just like him. And um, he, he used his bass music to heal. So if you've never played Brutal Legend, I highly recommend you give it a try. If you go to like GameStop or any used video game store, you can actually, you can usually find it for only like about three or four dollars still. Excellent game. Give Brutal Legend a try. It's a real fun game. Excellent music score. Okay, that's my last reference to Brutal Legend. I promise. All right. God, I hope so because like every song is in that mo- and is in that game. I, I will give him the cre- give him credit though. That game has an amazing soundtrack, and I mean Ozzy, Lita Ford, Jack Black, Killmeister with you know, Lemmy Killmeister play on his name. The game itself, I'm not in as love with it as much as you are, Al, but it has an amazing soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And All part right, of the fun is just like getting in the car, driving around, killing things, and listening to heavy metal. Exactly. All right, man. What, what do you got left for us? 
we're going to go with a little bit of Ozzy to round it out. Must not talk about Brutal Legend. Must not <laughs> talk about Brutal Legend. Sorry, go Ozzy ahead. Ozzy came with us. We've got here Bark at the Moon by Ozzy Osbourne in 1983. The godfather of heavy metal gives us this classic rock stable, staple, stable, whatever, about a supernatural creature that harasses a village and its peoples to the point where they rise up and murder the beast burying it. Much to their horror, it comes back and continues to wreak havoc on the town and its people. With Jake E. Lee, Jake, wow, what a name, shredding on the guitar, it's a frenzied tale that only metal could do justice. Let's take a little listen. Now the video had born was in brutal legend as well. I did indeed. <laughs> the God of the... metal. Regarding and... metal. Sorry. Godfather of heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> now, the video had more of a Jekyll and Hyde feel to it, but it still told the story pretty well. I've listened to a ton of Ozzy from back then to forward to black Sabbath to whatever solo projects between the reality show, the countless books and articles and interviews. There's nothing I can really say about the Ozman that, other than to reaffirm his influence on the genre, is 100% unquestionable. It is indisputable. It's freaking Ozzy! And did, Woo! did you know in Brutal Legend, there's this one cave area you can go to, and there's a bunch of bats that have Ozzy Osbourne heads? You know what, Al? You're a liar. <laughs> no, it there is! There is no, a no, you're a liar! You said you weren't going to talk about that game anymore! You're right. I'm sorry. So let, let's finish out. Ozzy was also in Little Nicky where he actually bit the head off of a bat who was a demon and spit it into a container. Yes, yes. The God. movie was terrible, but it yes. was still Ozzy. Yeah, fair enough. Now, Ozzy, I mean, this this is what I would consider classic Ozzy fare. Yeah. You know, it's very middle of the road for Ozzy. Great song, don't get me wrong. Love this album, by the way. But this song is, is I give it two thumbs up. I'd agree with that. What about you, Al? I like it. And I, as I recall, it actually had a pretty cool vid music video to go along with it. And um, Yeah, Ozzy that... turns into a werewolf. Um, what more? How can it get any cooler than that? But <laughs> still, I mean, that's, I don't know. It's like music videos seem to be a lost art. Maybe that's a topic you guys can tackle on a future show. But yeah, it's, it's definitely Ozzy, uh, I think, in his prime. Um, you know, after he... You know, of course, after a, a strong, after a front man with such a strong presence leaves a band, you know, it's pretty, it's not surprising when they decide to go out on their own. And uh, you got to give credit whether you like him or hate him. He did have a really successful uh, solo career after leaving um, Black Sabbath. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Shall we wrap this up? I think it's just a good idea. All right. So the last one, I kept my most controversial British band till the end. So I'm talking about the Sex Pistols, and more specifically, the song Anarchy in the UK. All right. So the Sex Pistols were an English punk rock band, and I don't know if I would give them the punk rock label. I would just call them a punk band. 
They're a bunch of punks, period. Uh, formed in London in 1975, although they initially lasted just two and a half years and produced only four singles and one studio album, never mind the bollocks, here's the Sex Pistols. Wow, that sounded so preppy yeah, for, for that. <laughs> you hipster bastard. They have been called one of the most influential acts in the history of popular music, having initiated the punk movement in the United Kingdom and inspired many later punk and alternative, alternative rock musicians. The first incarnation of the Sex Pistols was singer Johnny Rotten, lead guitarist Steve Jones, drummer Paul Cook, and bassist Glenn Matlock. Matlock was replaced by Sid Vicious in early 1977. Originally issued in a plain black sleeve, the single was the only Sex Pistol recording released by EMI, and it reached number 38 on the UK singles chart before EMI dropped the group, like a hot potato. Um, it was a month after the band uh, used profanity during a live TV broadcast. Whoops. So, in the documentary The Filth and the Fury, John Linden, uh, which is Johnny Rotten, described the composition of the song's opening lyrics, explaining that the best rhyme he could devise for the first line, I am an antichrist, was the second line, I am an anarchist. Linden confirmed that he is not an anarchist in a 2012 interview. A limited edition 7-inch picture disc of the single was released on 21 April 2012 for that year's Record Store Day. Let's take a listen to this song. I think the influence of the Pistols is paramount to punk as the Beatles are to rock. Got my goddamn Beatles in the episode. Of course you did. <laughs> so let's face it, they glow, they glowed red hot and burned out real quick. I mean, still the contribution to punk is forever. They made their mark. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I've well, never been much into the punk genre myself. Um, I mean, it's not bad. It's just I don't know why I never got into it. Um, I don't think any of us sitting here ever got hugely into punk. And I think it's maybe because, to, to go back to what I was saying at the start of the episode, I was more into the escapism of heavy metal as opposed to the, you know, the uh, political activism and the aggression and the, you know, the uh, anti-establishment themes that you found in, in a lot of punk bands. But right. yeah, the uh, Anarchy in the UK is probably one of the few uh, punk songs that I could, you know, I could name if I heard it. Well, then again, they say it pretty clearly in the song. But anyways. You know, yeah. and, and with this here, too, I mean, I'm not going to be able to listen to a lot of that because it's just it just is very raw. It's not my style of music. I guess I like mine a little bit more refined. Yeah, I like my punk more refined too, which is why I'll listen to Green Day or something like or the that. Ramones. Or the Ramones. Right. It's It just seems like. I know this is what they were going for, but it just seemed underproduced. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and one of the things that always kind of turned me off about some of the punk bands I've heard is good. Terrible. Oh <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and uh, well, it's just some of them, it sounds like a three-year-old having a temper tantrum. Um, and maybe that's one of the reasons I can kind of tolerate anarchy in the UK. Cause I can usually understand what they're saying, but as I said, just some of them sound like a bunch of, 
sound like a bunch of three-year-olds having a temper tantrum, so I can't understand what they're saying. Or in the case of some of the American punk bands I've heard, it's like they're trying to fake a British accent and doing a really terrible job at it. And yeah. I think you just kind of proved my point terrible. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have to, I'm going to add something onto this one here real quick, and then we'll finish up. Green Jelly, or Jello, depending on how old you are, yeah. did a Anarchy, I think they call it Anarchy in UK also, but it nope, was... Anarchy in Bedrock. That's what they sing, but I think if you look at the album art, it actually might say UK. I think it depends on which album cover you have. Right. I have yeah. one of the older ones that does say UK, but then they sing about, I want to be Fred Flintstone. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's kind of entertaining. It's not. It's more heavy metal than punk, but it was just entertaining. A little side bit I wanted to throw in there. All right, so with that, we're going to wrap this up. Al, I want to thank you for coming on with us, uh, helping us produce a very long episode. <laughs> but hey, um, aside from that, yeah. you know, uh, we, we want to thank you for coming out. It, it was a blast. For you guys listening out there, if you want to drop us a line, let us know what you think of this episode where we have a guest. It's not our normal fare. I don't know if it's something we'll go back to at another time or not, but why don't you let us know what you think. And you can do that in a couple of ways. You can send us an email at musicpodcast. Sorry, let me rephrase that. You can do you can do that at musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at POI Network. And you can also find us at Music Challenge. Challenge Podcast. Wow, thanks. Thanks, Lou. But anyway, either way, we look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Brutal legend. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.